Amen. Now, the message I'm doing this morning is one I've never heard a message on. And uh, I know I've read this passage of Scripture, I don't know how many times, because like I said, I read the Bible through every, every year. So I've had to read this lots of times. And uh, I've never, but this year when I read it a couple weeks ago, it kind of jumped out at me, and, and I kind of was thinking about it, mulling it over, and then we had Easter, and then we had uh, other things going on. So I kind of kind of put it there, and, and this week I thought, well, maybe I'll try it, doing that. And I thought, okay, and it was kind of hard to do and when I first started, and then I finally started, pieces started falling together and that, so... I'm going to preach it this morning, and I know that the devil doesn't want it because as soon as I was back there praising God, I had the worst case of heartburn I've ever had in my life. I thought I was having a heart attack. <laughs> I had to go and say, Brother Randy, would you pray for me? <laughs> and he did, and it's gone. So, and sometimes that happens. How many know when you serve God, you're going to be attacked? So if you're living in a, in a the theology that everything, once you become a Christian, everything's going to be smooth and roses, you're going to be surprised because there's thorns in those rose bushes, aren't they? Have you ever fallen into a rose bush? <laughs> Beautiful flowers, yeah, but get out and you're, you, know, you, you know you've been there. So um, that's why when we serve God and we're having issues, we know that, we're, that, we're, that the world hates us. All of a sudden when we were on the road, we were going this way. We became a Christian, we changed directions. And uh, we're dodging cars just like being on the freeway, <laughs> going the wrong direction. I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you or not, but it would be a scary thing going 50 miles an hour, 60 miles an hour on a freeway and somebody else coming the other direction the same speed. Whew, that'd be scary. And that's what happens when we become uh, believers. We turn, we change directions. We do a 180, and all of a sudden our destination's changed. And the world doesn't like it. The, the devil likes to hang on to his own, and he's doing everything he can to destroy you. So if you're having a problem this morning, Praise God that you're having it and ask God to help you through it because the devil doesn't like you. And I don't want the devil to like me, do you? I want him to hate me because God loves me. And uh, so we need to understand that. But this morning in our text today, like I said, it's something I've never preached about or actually thought about. But here we have Israel. They've been wandering in the years for 40 years. And all of a sudden the land is divided up and everybody's in their own land. The promised land, this is the land that God had promised them. And so this, here's where they are. Now they were excited about it. They were excited about God. Everybody's excited about God after a good revival, aren't they? Excited about God, and they were on fire for God, and they was going to serve God, and all these things. Were, they were in a high emotional state about God because they'd seen all these things that he had done for them, and they were set apart, just like we're set apart. God's chosen people was Israel. As far as a people group, that's it. We are the bride of Christ, but Israel is God's wife. Now, you don't have to understand the theology of that, but that's the way God treats it, so we can understand it in our language. And uh, they're God's chosen people. Now, I know there's a lot of people that try to say, we are God's chosen people, and we have replaced Israel. Don't you believe it? Because God doesn't take kindly to anyone that steals promises he has for his chosen group. I don't care what they are. And I don't want all the promises that they have for Israel today. They've got some good things there, but they've also got some other things there that I don't want part of. And God has a curse on anyone that, that curses Israel. He has a blessing on those that bless Israel. And we're cursing Israel when we try to replace ourselves, say, all these promises are mine. That land over there is mine. No, it's not. 
You better read your Bible. God has promises for Israel, and he has promises for us as believers. Every promise in the book is not mine. I don't want every promise in the book, because there's a promise of a great white throne judgment. I don't want a promise. I don't want that one. If you're to wake up and you're the white throne judgment, it's over for you, because all the believers are going to be gone in the rapture. We get to go to the beam of judgment, which is a reward ceremony. And the rest of the world, during the tribulation period of time, if they don't accept Christ, they are going to stand before a righteous God, and they're going to be judged. What did you do with Jesus? And people have a, think, oh, when I stand there, I'm going to be able to defend myself. No, you won't. You'll be flat on your face saying, you are the son of God. You won't be saying anything because you are lost, and there's nothing you can say, and God's holiness will put you down, and you'll realize it. So you don't want to be there. So I don't want that promise. <laughs> I, I know you don't either. I want the promise of the beam of judgment. I'm on the promise and standing before Christ, say, well done, thou good and faithful service. Enter into the joys of the Lord has prepared for you. That's what I was waiting for me. That's the promise I'm claiming. I'm claiming the promise of, of Christ's death on the cross for my sin. We have a choice. We, have, we either choose Christ because he's the only way. You want to get to heaven, it isn't going to be through a religion. No matter how good that religion is, joining the assemblies of God isn't going to get you to heaven. We want you to be a member of this church. But I'm telling you, joining it isn't going to give you a seat in the kingdom. Only accepting Christ as your personal Savior will do that. I don't care what church anybody else prophesies about. Oh, you got to join this church and you got it made. Watch out. Watch out. Because if a church could save you, Jesus died in vain. Think of it logically. So anytime we have a, have a religion that wants you to line up against a man, if it isn't Jesus, stay away from it like the plague. The only vaccination against sin is Jesus' blood. And we get sick with sin sometimes, and we fail. I fail, and you do. If you don't, I'd like to talk to you, because I'd like to know how you can do it. Because <laughs> I have a hard time some days. I'll tell you, when you watch the news and you see what the people are, are, are doing to each other, See what's happening in the Middle East, and Mama, can you? It, it, it irritates me. I get upset about it. And so, but I'm thankful that Jesus did what he did for us, and uh, I want to serve God. Now, here we have the children of Israel, they're all excited, and all this stuff's going on. But something happened that caused the children of Israel want to kill each other. They just get in the land, and all of a sudden, they're going to kill each other. I want to know, show what happened and how we can avoid the problems that Israel faced at that time because we need to find that out. I, I don't want to kill anybody here in the body of Christ, do you? I don't want to kill my brothers and sisters. Maybe not physically, but <laughs> anyway, we're going to look at that this morning. Joshua 22, 1 to 9. It said, Now Joshua, then Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said unto them, you have, all, you have done all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded. And you have obeyed me in everything I commanded. For a long time now, to this very day, you have not deserted your fellow Israelites, but have carried out the mission the Lord your God gave you. Now that the Lord your God has given them rest as he promised, return to your homes in the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of Jordan. But be careful to keep the commandments and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. To love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to keep his commandments, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Then Joshua blessed them and sent them away, 
and they went to their homes. Next slide. To the half-tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given the land in Bashan, and to the other half of the tribe of Joshua gave to the land of the west side of the river along with their fellow Israelites. When Joshua sent them home, he blessed them, saying, Return to your homes with great wealth and large herds of livestock, with silver, gold, bronze, and iron, and a great quality of clothing, and divide the plunder from your enemies with your fellow Israelites. So the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh left the Israelites at Shiloh in Canaan, Canaan to return to Gilead to their own land, which they had acquired in accordance with the command of the Lord through Moses. Now, every, day, every tribe had their, was in their own inheritance. They had their land. And if you remember in the Old Testament, um, these two and a half tribes, before they got to the Jordan, they seen this valley that they had, and they said, this is going to be great for our family. Please give us our inheritance here, and we will... Uh, build places for the, the people to live and all that here. And Moses got upset with them and said, hey, wait a minute. No, you're not. You're not going to stay here in, in your land here where there's no battle going on when your brothers and, and that are going over there and fighting. So the, the, these three, two and a half tribes, they said, no, no, we're going to go over there. We'll fight until every single one of our brethren have their own land. And so Moses says, okay, then we'll do that. And if you're faithful in doing that, then we'll do that. Say, we'll be the last ones to leave. And so they did. They went over there and they crossed the Jordan with their fellow Israelites and they fought. And it just wasn't a day. Sometimes, you know, we kind of lose track of time when we read stuff in the Bible, don't we? Here we have in one verse where Jesus is born and then he's dying in just a few, you know, a few chapters. But realize that it took 33 and a half years for that to happen. And so we have this, this battle that's going on when they were fighting in Canaan. It took seven years. It wasn't just they go in there and we see Jericho and we see all this stuff happen. We just think, ah, instantly everybody was gone. But that wasn't the reality of it. They didn't just go in there and all of a sudden, oh, man, here, here it is. Take it, take it. No, they had to fight for it. And that itself is a good lesson to us. We're going to have to fight for everything we get in this world. Amen. Nothing's going to be given to us. God's going to see to it we have the strength and the ability to get it. But we, he, we're going to have to do the fighting. And how do we fight? We go out and beat up our brother and go beat up the world? No, we do most of our fighting on our knees, don't we? We pray for him. And uh, so that's where we do a lot of our fighting and sometimes just struggling or standing up saying, I am not going to allow that to happen. I'm not going to do it. We let our voice be heard. And we live in a world, this world we live in now is in a mess, isn't it? We had that, uh, I just read this, this week, about that couple that refused to make a... Uh, uh, wedding cake for a gay couple because it was getting, went against their beliefs. And they ended up having to close their bakery because of it. And they were fined $135,000. And then I had to watch this other thing where this one guy went into all these other bakeries, went into Muslim bakeries, and asked them to make a cake for him. And all those refused. Did you hear anything about that? Not a word. Because Christians are not free. We are not equal. You might as well face it. We need to start standing up and speaking out because this world's in a mess. And if you don't, you're going to wake up and find out what happened. Well, what happened is we kept quiet. I don't keep quiet. I make enemies because I don't keep quiet. And you need to make enemies and not keep quiet if that's what it takes. I believe we can take this world back for Jesus. I believe we can. If I thought, didn't think we could, I'd as well go to the mountain and die. Let's all go up the mountain. Let's all wait till Jesus 
comes, and we're all going to have our own religion here, just everybody here, and we're just going to wait till Jesus comes. That is what God said in his word. He told us to occupy till he comes. And that doesn't mean sitting on your couch and doing nothing. That means going to work every day. It means so giving the world enough evidence to know that you're a believer. Do you, do you give the people you work with enough evidence so they could accuse you of being a Christian? Hopefully you are. If you are, then you make enemies. Of course, like I said, we live in a, a kind of a little different world here where most of the area we live in has a zeal for God. But maybe a wrong zeal, maybe in a, in a wrong way to a to certain, to certain degree, but they are zealous for God and religion. So they don't kind of persecute us too much for our belief system. And I'm thankful for that. But because of that, we don't have to fight the way our brothers and sisters do. Because you get stronger by fighting. And uh, so we need to understand that. It doesn't mean we're going to accept everything that everybody believes. Uh, people say, well, you know, we've got to get together with all the churches in the area because, oh, let's get together on things we can agree on. Now, that's true to a certain degree. But I'm never, ever going to say that I believe what the other people believe when I know it isn't, isn't true. I can't do that. Because if I agree with that, then I'm saying it's okay. And then I'm going to be judged. And so will you. <laughs> if we, we, we just don't stand up and say, oh, no, 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 that isn't what the Bible says. We have to start voicing the truth. Uh, Joshua 22.10. When they came to Galath, Galath, near the Jordan, in the land of the Canaan, the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh built an imposing altar there by the Jordan. They leave excited and they're on fire for God and they get to, get to the Jordan. And I don't know whether they were, had, a, had a sense of abandonment or something in their hearts because they were leaving the people they had spent 40 years with in the wilderness, some of them, 30 years. They fought for seven years side by side with their, with their fellow people. And I don't know whether that, that, that feeling when they, when they were facing the Jordan, whether or not they were sitting there realizing, you know, God, we're leaving our brothers behind. And they felt kind of an emptiness. You know, if you've ever moved out of state from your family, you can kind of understand maybe what they felt like because you feel like, man, I'm not going to see my family very much. I used to see them every day or every other day, twice a week or every Sunday or whatever it is. And now I'm not going to be able to see them every day. Of course, like I said, thanks to the Internet and Skype and that, we can see them. But... In the Old Testament, when they left their families, there was they were very rare if they ever saw them again. But hit young, well, that was the sense that they had, and they wanted to have some something that they could do to let people know that, hey, we're one people on this side of the river, on that side of the river, we're the same people. And so they said, what can we do to do that? I know. I don't know whether they got together and said, this, this is me. This is me. <laughs> You can kind of figure out yourself, but the, the truth is they did it. How they did it, they, you know, kind of get around a little later. But they said, what can we do? So they said, I know what we can do. We can build a replica of the altar in Jerusalem, and we make it bigger and larger so when people come, they can see it from way away, far away. And then people will know, hey, we worship the same God. And they thought that was a good idea. But their good attentions were seen as apostasy by the other tribes. Joshua 22, 11 through 14. And when the Israelites heard that they had built the altar on the border of Canaan at Gebah, Gebah, whatever it is, near the Jordan on the Israelite side, the whole assembly of Israel gathered at Shiloh to go to war against them. 
So the Israelites sent Phineas, the son of Eliezer, the priest, to the land of Gilead, to Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Nathah. With, with him they sent ten of the chief men, one of each tribe of Israel, each the head of a family, division, and among the Israelite clads. Now the nine and a half tribes were ready to go to war against their own brothers over this. They said, oh man, what are they doing here? And they had reason to be upset. Leviticus 17, 8, and 9. Say to them, any Israelite or any alien living among them who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to sacrifice it to the Lord, that man may cut off, be cut off from his people. Deuteronomy 12, 27. Present your burnt offerings on the, Lord, on the altar of the Lord your God, both the meat and the blood. The blood of your sacrifices must be poured beside the altar of your Lord your God, but you may eat the meat. Exodus 34, 13. Break down their altars and smash their sacred stones and cut down their asterisk poles. Now Israel was told to destroy the altars of all the other people's groups. When they entered the land, the first thing he wanted they were supposed to do was destroy all these altars and, and idols and things that they worshipped. The only exception was when they, went, when they crossed the Jordan, if you remember uh, that Moses told it, each tribe to pick up one stone. They represented their tribe and they stacked it on the other side of Jordan as a memorial to remind them of this. That was the only exception that they had as far as the, that was concerned. They were told where to put an altar and it wasn't there. So you can understand why the other tribes of Israel would have been upset. And they were willing to go to war against their brothers over it. And um, uh, let's see, Joshua 22, 15 to 20. The problem was they were willing to go against war from something that they heard. What's something that they assumed had happened. Now, assumption means putting all the pieces of a situation together and coming up with an answer without first going to the source. Do we do that? <laughs> we assume so much in this world. We hear something and we automatically assume the worst, don't we? That's what happened here. And of course, that was, oh man, I'm telling you, that, that was kind of an obvious thing, wasn't it? It seemed to be. Joshua 22, 15 to 20. Oh, 15 to 18, 20, whatever it is. Then when they went to Gilead to Reuben, Gad and half tribes of Manasseh, they said to him, the whole assembly of the Lord says, how could you break faith with the God of Israel like this? How could you turn away from the Lord and build yourself an altar in rebellion against him now? Was not the sin of your enough for us? Up to this very day, we have not clean, cleansed ourselves from that sin. And even though a plague fell on the community of the Lord, and are you now turning away from the Lord? If you rebel against the Lord today, tomorrow he will be angry with the whole community of Israel. Next slide. If the land you possess is defiled, come over to the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands and share the land with us. But do not rebel against the Lord your, or against us by building an altar for yourselves other than the altar of the Lord our God. When Achan, son of Zerah, was unfaithful in regard to the devoted things, did not the wrath have come, come on the holiest community of Israel? He was not the only one who died for his sin. Now we know that during the Achan he's talking about when he uh, and Jericho, they fought the battle and they were told to give all the plunder that they got, all the gold, silver, everything to the temple. They were supposed to do that. But Achan, he saw this nice, beautiful garment that he had and a bar of gold and he got greedy and he took it and he hid it in his tent. And because of that, all Israel was punished. 
That doesn't seem right, but God doesn't like sin in his midst. God punishes the, punished the whole community for that man's sin until they rooted it out. And that man ended up losing his life. But so did thousands of other people because of the plague. So God judged the whole community because of it. Say, well, that would be fair. Well, maybe not, but God takes sin seriously. When he tells us to do something, he expects us to do it. If we're in the midst of our congregation here, if we tolerate sin, God will not bless us. So if we have sin in our midst and we're approving of it, of course we have to know about it to approve about it, approve of it. And hopefully God convicts you of the sin so you don't bring it to church with you and confess it. But if I know about something and I don't come to you, or you know something, you need to get rid of it in your life because God will not bless our body of believers here if we hold sin into our hearts. And we continually, continually tolerate it. Now, we don't do that, so I'm not worried about that. We have issues. People come to me, and we usually get them straightened around. So don't worry about that. But if you hear something, don't automatically assume the worst, because that's what happened here. They assumed the worst. And uh, it was based on assumption. Every time we assume something, it makes a fool of us. Every single time. Because, you know, we, we have a judged by first impressions and things. And of course, like I said, we always like to believe the, neg the negative. So Phineas, the high priest, thank thankful that somebody had a little bit of wisdom in this situation. And they just didn't automatically go down there and start killing each other. They sent people to find out what's going on. Aha, finally, somebody with a head on their shoulder thinking. They went and said, what are you doing here? But they're still accusing them. They're accusing them of backsliding. They're accusing of sinning a great sin against God. Now we have to, you know, it's a good deal. I'm glad Israel was that zealous for God. I wish they would have remained that zealous for God. Because they didn't throughout their history, if you, if you read it. I tell you, I, I'm amazed. I, I read the Old Testament. I think, what's the matter with these people? You'd think that they'd learn. And we think, oh, if I'd have been there, it'd have been different. I don't know it would have not. We like to think it would have, but I don't know. I guess that's why we weren't there. <laughs> We're here, and we look back on it. But I'm not kidding. If I'd have seen some of those things, I'll tell you, I'd be afraid to get away from God, wouldn't you? I'll tell you, he was a God of justice, and he, right now, and we, they wanted God's blessing. And we'd have probably jumped to the same conclusion. Because sometimes that's how we get our exercise, isn't it? Jumping to a conclusion. Some of us, that's all the exercise we get. And, and we've got to get our 25,000 words in, so instead of giving those words in prayer, we give them in gossip. <laughs> Anyway, Joshua 22, 21 to 29. 21 to 24, I split it up. Okay. Then Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh replied to the heads of the clans of Israel, The mighty one God, the Lord. The mighty one God, the Lord. There's exclamation parts there. So they're emphasizing this point. He knows, and let Israel know, if this has been in rebellion or disobedience to the Lord, do not spare us this day. If we have built our own altar to turn away from the Lord and to offer burnt offerings and grain offerings or to sacrifice fellowship offerings on it, may the Lord himself call us to account. No, we did it for the fear that one day, someday, your descendants might say to ours, what do you have to do with the Lord God of Israel? Next slide. The Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you. You Reubenites and Gadites, you have no share in the Lord. So your descendants might cause ours to stop fearing the Lord. That is why we said, let us get ready and build an altar, but not for burnt offerings or sacrifices. On the contrary, 
it is to be a witness between us and you and the generations that follow that we may worship the, God, the Lord at his sanctuary with our burnt offerings, sacrifices, and fellowship offerings. Then in the future, your descendants will not be able to say to ours, you have no share in the Lord. Next slide. And, and we said, if, if they ever say this to us or our descendants, we will answer, look at the replica of the Lord's altar, which our ancestors built, not for burnt offerings and sacrifices, but as a witness between us and you. Far be it for us to rebel against the Lord and turn away from him today by building an altar for burnt offerings, grain offering, and sacrifices, other than the altar of the Lord, our God, that stands before his tabernacle. The one thing that I'm amazed about this story is the, the, these three, two and a half tribes, they didn't get mad, red-faced, and yelling and screaming. If you're accused of something, what's the first thing we do? We get our cackles up, and man, we're ready to fight. And we start saying things we don't mean, don't we? Not all the time. Sometimes God gets in and, <laughs> and we do it. But they were, they were sincere, and they didn't get angry, and they get, didn't get upset, and they probably didn't think at the time they did it that it would cause such a ruckus. They thought they were doing a good thing, and yet it was perceived as a bad thing. It was perceived as rebellion. Sometimes people do something that's perceived as rebellion that is the sincerity of their hearts wasn't that. That's why they needed to go to the source. If they'd have gone to the source instead of calling war, it would have been cleared up before that. They wouldn't have had to go through the thing. But they didn't. They just assumed. Oh, man, they've already fallen away from the Lord. They don't want to come here. And it caused a big ruckus in there, in, amongst them. <clears throat> now, all the, let's see, Exodus 23, 17. Three times a year, all the men are to appear before the sovereign Lord. Now, I don't know whether maybe they thought that when they left their, their relatives and left all the people they'd fought with, whether they thought, oh, maybe we'll lose fellowship. But they, had to, they were required to come to the three feasts in Jerusalem every year. So if they attended those three feasts every year, they wouldn't have lost fellowship. How many, if you have family that lives far away, if you could see them three times a year, would that be good for you? That'd be good to see our, our loved ones three times a year. Now, if they live next door, then maybe you want to see them just three times a year. <laughs> but generally, you know, so they didn't really have to do this. But they were trying, they had a good heart. One, the reason they were doing it, it was misconstrued wrong, but they were required to come, so they didn't worry about losing fellowship if they did what God commanded them to do. Joshua 22, 30, 30 to 34. When Phinehas the priest and the leaders of the community, the heads of the clans of the Israelites, heard what Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh had, had to say, they were pleased. And Phinehas, son of Eliezer the priest, said to Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, Today we know that the Lord is with us, because you have not been unfaithful to the Lord to do this in this matter. Now you have rescued the Israelites from the Lord's hand. Then Phinehas, son of Eliezer the priest, and the leaders returned to Canaan from their meeting with the Reubenites and Gadites and Gilead and reported to the Israelites. They were glad to hear the report and praise God. And they talked no more about going to war against them to devastate the country where the Reubenites and Gadites lived. And the Reubenites and the Gadites gave the altar this name, a witness between us, that is the Lord God. Now after the explanation, everyone's happy. They came there with anger in their soul and in their heart, ready to fight and kill their brothers. 
but they at least waited till they got the explanation. And then they probably felt like idiots when they found out actually what it meant. And they were pleased. And they were exceptionally pleased that it wasn't a sin because they didn't want God's judgment on them again because they still remembered what happened before. They lost loved ones during that time. People died. If you read, read that in the Old Testament, you'll know that when some sin was entered in the camp and they didn't confess it and didn't cast it out, people died. Of course, the people that sinned eventually died because the, the penalty was covered up because they, they didn't say nothing. Even when their fellow Israelites were dying, they didn't, or me, it was my fault, I didn't do anything wrong. But after they got the explanation, they accepted it and they were happy. Now, it's God's will for all of us to live in harmony with each other. Are we going to get along all the time? No. We all have different cultural things, and we all have different family things that go on in our lives, and we all come from different backgrounds and, and different things that we do in our life. We walked, a different, we walked the same path on the Lord when you come and believe we're on the same road, but we got there a different way. Every one of us did. I, I, I got there a different way than you did. Now, if you were blessed to be raised in church and accepted God in children's church, thank God for that. And that's a better testimony. You know, people say, oh, man, I wish I had a good testimony of God bringing me out of drugs or alcohol and all this other kind of stuff. Be thankful you weren't there. Be thankful you weren't there. The better blessing is that God kept you from all that because you were smart enough to accept God when you were younger. See, we all have the, those that have a past. That past keeps sticking its ugly head up sometimes. And the devil brings it to light. At times we don't want it to happen, but he does because of the past. It's supposed to stay in the past, but the devil brings it up. Maybe you'll run into somebody that didn't know you before, and they'll remind you of your past. That's when we got to say, oh, God delivered me from that past. Yeah, did we have a good time in sin? Yes. Sin is fun. If it wasn't fun, people wouldn't do it. Not everything that's fun is a sin. As I've had more fun as a believer than I ever had in the world. I don't need... 12-ounce pull-ups in order to make me feel good about myself. I feel good about myself when I realize that the Son of God left heaven and died on a cross for me. Now that's enough to put a light, a spring in your step and a, and a joy in your soul. That should do it. So I'm thankful I didn't have to, uh, that God does that for us. Now there are some principles Israel followed that applies to the church today. And the first is commendation. Now, the first thing Joshua did before he sent away was commend them for their faithfulness. They didn't run off after the battles got tough. They stayed there to the last man like they said they would. They honored their word. And God said, I commend you for that. I commend you for your faithfulness. But now go and stay faithful to God. So he commended them for their service. And we need to do that. Israel should be commended for their zeal. They wanted to keep sin out of their midst, mainly because they're afraid of judgment. I want to keep sin out of my midst, out of my life, because it displeases God, but I don't want to hurt God. And when we sin willingly, we hurt God. How many know that? We grieve the Holy Spirit when we sin willingly. There are sins I don't plan on doing, and next thing I know, God, the Holy Spirit goes, you know, you shouldn't have done that. And I go, oh, forgive me, Lord. I try to keep my heart right with God. I say, God, examine me. If there's sin in me, help me know it so I can get it out. Because I want God's blessing to flow through me. And if we hold sin in our hearts, God's blessing can't flow through us. We need to understand it's for, it's for our benefit to do it. Not just the 
to, because the word says it, it's our benefit to do it. <clears throat> now they, they need the same zeal for the Lord that they had. We do. We need to have that kind of zeal without jumping to conclusions. Now it's so easy to criticize God's people when they fail in their duties and responsibilities or show commitment to the work of the Lord and such criticism may at times be justified. Some of us are very good at criticizing, but how many of us are good at commending God's people for their faithfulness, diligence, and commitment to their work? We are always focused on the negative. If we don't do something, man, I'll tell you, they're right there to Johnny on the spot say, why didn't you do that? But we don't commend them for all the times that they did do that. We don't do that because we're always drawn to the negative. We like to tear people down in, our in the human nature. Hopefully we aren't doing this, but we like to do it because when we do that, it makes us feel good about ourselves. We don't need to do that. We can feel good about ourselves because God lives within us. We don't have to tear anybody down to do that. So we need to understand that. We need to start being more commending of the people that are faithful to God. And there's a lot of people here this morning that are faithful to God. I commend you for serving God. I commend you for being faithful to coming to church, to serving God at work and doing the things that you do. We don't do that enough. We need to do that more. I need to do that more. The second principle Israel followed was that it applies to the church today's circumstance. It's wrong to judge fellow Christians' motives on the basis of circumstantial evidence. A lot of circumstantial evidence isn't allowed in a court of law. And yet they're allowed in our court of opinion, isn't it? Well, we saw them over there. I, I, I told you a while back that when we were going for pizza and Susie was following us or, and, and she, or got ahead of us and she stopped, or they stopped, and they had to stop in front of the bar or in front of the liquor store. I thought, man, okay, if you have to stop, I don't stop here. People go by and say, hey, look, a pastor, she's parked in front of the liquor store. Doesn't she know it's closed on Sunday? But I thought I was worried about that because somebody may come along and say, oh, man, that church, don't go to that church. That pastor was parked out there in front of that liquor store, probably trying to figure out what she wanted to buy. You say, well, that, that's funny, yes, but that happens all the time. So don't judge anybody by circumstantial evidence. Avoid all that stuff. Do the one thing that you can do. Ask. So well, they might be embarrassing to ask. Well, then don't hold it in your heart then. It's important to get all the facts. Remember, there's two sides to every dispute. That's what I like when I do, do marriage counseling. I like both of them to be there. I talk to one, and then I talk to the other for a while until I feel safe to bring them together. Because <laughs> sometimes you don't want to bring them together. <laughs> but there's two sides to every dispute. And you hear this feels, oh, man, that dirt dog, he did that? Yeah. Then talk to the husband she did that? We're drawn back and forth by what we hear. We have to hear more sides. And I always say the truth is somewhere in the middle. And I know that if, if, I'm, if it's me, then I'm always right, right? No, I am not. The young husband was henpecked, and he was going to the psychiatrist about the problem. The doctor told him, you don't have to let your wife bully you. Go home and show her your boss. The young man got home, slammed the door, shook his fist in his wife's face, and growled, from now on, we're take, you're taking orders from me. When I get home from work, my supper, I want my supper on the table. I want my clothes laid out. I will be going out with the boys tonight, and you will be staying home. And another thing, do you know who's going to tie my tie? 
Yes, she said, the undertaker. <laughs> it's bad to get advice from non-believers because those people that are usually giving you the advice, if they know you and they don't know the other person, they're going to take your side because they like you. But you've got to hear both sides or you get in trouble. We don't need to take advice from the world. The world has proved that they can't be trusted. We listen to the world, we're going to be lost really fast. Because what they teach is not what the Bible teaches. So we need to understand, we need to listen to God. <clears throat> now, the, both sides in our verses this morning were wrong. The nine and a half tribes were wrong because they assumed something that wasn't true. And the two and a half tribes were wrong because they didn't need to build the altar in the first place. Sometimes we do stupid stuff when we don't have to that causes problems. Of course, they didn't think when they did it, it would cause the problem. If they had, they wouldn't have done it. But we need to think beyond the moment. We just live in the moment, don't we? We don't worry about what's going to happen tomorrow, or next week, or whatever. We just live for today. That's why a lot of people are in financial trouble. They get paid, and they buy everything they can buy, and then by the end of the month, there's, not, there's more month at the end than there is money to pay for it, isn't there? Because they don't think through. They don't realize we've got a bad budget this out to last. Christians do. Christians are smart. <laughs> Smarter in the way to deal with the world. God can bless us, but God isn't going to bless us if we're, if we're wasting everything. And then say, oh, God, get me out of this mess. Sometimes God will say, get yourself out. You got yourself into it. And sometimes as parents, the best thing you can do for your kids is not give them everything. It's the best thing you can do for them. We spoiled our kids rotten. There was no doubt that we did, but we had rules, they had chores and things that they had to do. And irregardless of what happened, and then when we got saved, we prayed for them, and they turned out pretty good. Because we were faithful. Doesn't matter, we didn't look at the circumstances. When Sheldon was running around doing all the stuff he was doing, Pastor Sheldon, <laughs> we gave him to the Lord and said, God, we can't do anything. It's up to you. We had to do that, and then we had to walk away. And it broke our heart to be able to walk away. But what did God do? God took what we gave him and made something out of it. Everybody would laugh today if they seen Pastor Sheldon doing what he's doing. And they'd laugh at me doing what I'm doing too. They can't believe it either. <laughs> I was a mess too. <laughs> so everything is fix fixable as long as both sides respect each other. And are open. The third principle Israel followed that applied to church today is communication. Open discussion often clears the air. And the reconciliation happens. But we got to talk. We say, well, I prayed about it. Well, you got to do more than pray about it. You got to do something about it. And say, well, they did something to me and I'm not going to talk to them. Well, you go do it then. I've had to apologize many a times when I never did anything wrong. So you can be dead right or you can be God right. Doesn't make any difference. You need to keep the commu communication open. You need to go to someone, talk to them. And they, you don't have to say you're sorry for what was happening. You say, I'm sorry that what I did offended you. Doesn't matter whether it was right or wrong. And if God convicts you and you know it was wrong, then you need to confess that too. But if you don't think you did anything wrong, you say, I'm sorry. What I did hurt you. I didn't mean to. Because there's no believer here this morning that means to hurt anybody on purpose. And we need to understand that. And if we would just keep that in our mind, if somebody says something that offends us, say, wait a minute, I know they didn't mean to do that. I know that they would probably die if they knew that it hurt me like this. And maybe you need to go tell them, let them know, you know, it hurt me. And I just want to let you know that you hurt me. 
And they may get all thinking because they probably say, oh, man, I didn't need to do that. Because they don't mean to do that. So we need to, we need to realize that we have to have communication. And most of this is done one-on-one. And this communication, you got something against somebody, don't put it on Facebook. I've got family, family people in my family that, I'm not kidding you, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put that stuff on Facebook for nothing. It's just amazing to me the stuff that people put on Facebook. I read something from one of the people that I know that said, you know, I've had five paternity tests on my kid and they still don't know who the father is. Why would you put that on Facebook? Why? <laughs> but, okay. <laughs> and then I've had families griping at each other and calling each other name back and forth, back and forth. I just hide their stuff so I don't have to read it. I don't need that drama. So we need to understand if we have something against somebody, ask them. Go to them. Talk it out. Respect them. And I'm not kidding you. It'll alleviate a lot of problems we have in our life if we would just do that. Galatians 6.1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. We catch somebody in a sin, and we know they've sinned. We know they went around, slept around, or did something that, that we think is a sin. And man, we just want to go over there and go, you sinned, you dirty, rotten sinner, you need to repent. Is that, is that gently? Is that gently? No, it is not. You had to put gently in there because gently is a choice. Just like love is a choice. It's not an emotion. There's a lust that happens in love when you first get married or attracted to somebody. But after that, it's commitment. Love is a commitment. Randy was committed to me. I mean, I look, don't look as bad as I do in the mornings, but <laughs> and don't laugh because I know some of you don't look very good in the mornings either. <laughs> but uh, we need to understand that we're, we need to do it gently. God didn't call us to call down fire from heaven and consume them. and say, God, did you see them? I told God about you, and he told me to come over here and tell you what for. No, he didn't. He said you do it gently. Maybe the person that you know don't even know something. There are people in, in this world that don't know that certain things are a sin because they haven't read the word. And so we need to tell them gently, in love and commitment. <clears throat> Pilate did what was popular and was in the best interest of, of himself, not Jesus. He wanted to please the, uh, please the priests, the people, and Rome. And his choice cost Jesus his life. Whether it was justified or not, it didn't make any difference. They did what was best for them. Now, if we're praying for reconciliation, we need to understand we need to communicate with somebody. Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Now, I'm guilty of this sometimes. Sometimes somebody says something, whatever, man, I'll tell you, I just, and I hate it because I apologize later. I have to, it's hard. I have a hard time doing this sometimes. I try not to. I hate myself when I do it. I get mad at myself. And there's, oh, I could give you extenuating circumstances of what's going on in my life. Because it seems like we have shorter fuses when we're dealing with a lot more in our life, don't we? Those are the times we need to pray more, not less. And then we do, we need to, when we do that, we need to, remember, it's gently, gently, not go off the handle. And we have to learn the lesson that Israel did and not leap to conclusions before asking. God's in charge, so let's let him lead and let him take care of it because they're God's kids. Pray that God will take care of it. 
And talk to people gently. 1 Corinthians 13, 5D. Love thinketh no evil. Now, can you imagine if we just picked this little part out of this verse, out of the whole Bible, and just lived this? Thinketh no evil. Love thinketh no evil. If we see somebody doing something we think is wrong, think good about it. Say, well, maybe, maybe they don't understand. We don't know what happened. Maybe they got a flat tire in front of that liquor store. Maybe they had to go in there and use the phone. We automatically jump, oh, man, they're in there buying booze. They need to get saved. Well, maybe they had a flat tire. Don't jump to conclusion. Think no evil. And we're good about this because we like to find other people's faults so we don't have to look at our own. If we think no evil about anybody, we're going to be pleasing to God. We don't have to, I'm not saying we tolerate sin because we don't. God has a plan in place for that. And we go to them one-on-one. If we see something, you can say, hey, you know, I've seen you out in front of the liquor store, coming out of the liquor store the other day, and say, what's going on? And then you're going to feel like a fool when they tell you, I have a tire, I had to use the phone. Then you're really going to feel bad. It'll, it'll save you a lot of things, problems of your own, if you do this. <coughs> In an episode of The Andy Griffin Show, and I know this is a long ways back. How many know who The Andy Griffin Show was? Yeah. Opie and the rest of you. You need to get it on the older channels because they were good shows. Because they, they had life lessons in these series. That was when the TV was good, and they taught something worth to be watching. Anyway, an episode of Andy Griffin Show showed Martha... So Martha saw her husband, Emmett, the, the fix-it man, with a pretty young lady. Martha worried herself silly, thinking that Emmett, Emmett was being unfaithful to her. As the show proceeds, we learn that Emmett had been shopping for a coat for his wife's birthday. As it turned out, the young woman that Emmett was with was the salesperson for the coat store. While it may, might make funny television, harmful assumptions aren't funny when they disrupt our relationships. It's funny sometimes when we look back at some of the things we jump to conclusion over when we find out the truth. And, oh, man, how could I have done that? Remember, things... Next slide. This is the last slide. Remember, things are not always as they seem. Misunderstandings ruins relationships. People are not always what they appear to be. Situations once studied may be different than our first impression would lead us to believe. Before we act, we should try to understand the issue from every angle and viewpoint. Misunderstandings ruins relations sometimes for a lifetime. There's a lot of families who have been fighting with each other for hundreds of years, and you ask them, why are you fighting? And they don't know. We just know we're fighting over some reason. Hatfield and McCoy was like that. Fought for hundreds of years. Lots of people died because of a few that were stupid. How many times do we do the same thing in our own lives? We're punishing people for things that they did to us that they don't even know they did. And I'm not going to their house anymore. I'm going to avoid them because they did something to me and they haven't apologized yet. Well, maybe they don't know they did something. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Think no evil. And if it's bothering you that much, go to them and ask them about it. That's why I tell people to alleviate a lot of arguments if you just say, if I understand you correctly, this is what you said. And a lot of times it's, oh, no. Because we don't always say what we think we're saying. But if we do that, we alleviate a lot of problems. Hopefully, every one of us here today will not do that. We'll give everything the benefit of the doubt, think no evil. If we see something, we'll, we'll address it appropriately. We'll pray for them and ask God to, to help us to deal with the situation if we need to. Or worse comes first, come with me and I'll, I'll deal with it. But it's probably better if you do. Because you're the one that, one that saw it or whatever. And do it in a one-on-one -on -one situation. And if they can't work it out, 
That's their problem. We've had a lot of misunderstandings in this church over the years. And it's affected our congregation. It doesn't matter whether I was right, wrong, or they were, or whatever else like that. It doesn't make any difference. They ha- everybody handled it wrong. But everybody's welcome in this church. doesn't matter what, what we've done in the past. It has no, I don't have no bearing on anything. I don't care. Anybody wants to come to this church, they can. Wide open. We're here to serve God and do what God's called us to do. And I want to do what God wants us to do. Don't you? Let's pray. Father, Lord, thank you.